This has been a very strange week. <clears throat> um, lots of things happening this week, and things are hard to reconcile together. On Friday, <clears throat> got a call from the hospital that Alan was failing fast, and so went down to see Alan in the hospital and to spend some time down there and pray with him. Uh, but at the same time, got a call that um, <clears throat> baby Owen had been born. Chris and Zoe's baby had been born at the same time. And so I went down to the hospital to look at Alan and to spend some time praying with Alan, and then I went in to uh, hold new life in my hands. I happened to get, happened to get in uh, right in near the theater, and he had just been born, and he was all red, and he was screaming. Well, he was particularly screaming because Zoe handed him to me when he was feeding, and uh, he wasn't happy about that at all. His first introdu- introduction to Grandpa was not a good one. I came between him and his food. But he wanted food. He wanted life. Uh, he wanted fistfuls of air. He wants everything. He's just, he's just a goer. He's on the go. And through the day, um, <clears throat> up and down to the hospital with Alan, got a call in the middle of the night then. And at 20 to 5, Alan passed sweetly into the presence of the Lord. And it was sweet. It was sweet. There was no struggle. There was no strife. There was just that sweet passing into his presence. And you can almost imagine uh, Alan saying hello to the Lord on the other side. But it was, it was just as sweet as that. But here's the thought that, 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 that hit me. Um, life and death, all in the space of 24 hours. You know, the one, li- one life comes into the world and one life goes out. And you know what really hit me? The space in between is very short. The space between being born and when we leave this world is very short. The Bible says that it's just a vapor. It's just a time that we pass through. And the other thought that occurred to me as I watched Alan is, Alan had finished his course. It was God's time. But not only was it God's God's time for Alan, but you sensed from Alan he had done what he came here to do, that he had completed God's purpose for his life. And you know, the thought occurred to me, that's what's supposed to happen in between the time when you're born and you die. You're supposed to finish your course. You're supposed to do what God has for you to do. Not what God has for somebody else to do, what God has for you to do. That's what I want us to look to this morning. We'll look to the Apostle Paul, uh, his swan song in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, just as he's about to depart this life. And he gives us some counsel that's, uh, it's really by way of testimony that's so helpful. And then he mentions another character entirely. And you know what? You can either have the testimony of Paul, Or you can have the testimony of Demas. What happens in between the time when you're born and the time when you pass out of this world is going to indicate what your testimony is going to be. Let's look to the Lord first in prayer, and then we'll read the scripture, and we'll ask the Lord to help us to discern his will and his face in this. Now, Father, we do thank you, Lord. Thank you for your blessing and your hand upon us. Thank you for your goodness and your love. We do thank you for Alan's life, Lord. Uh, What a blessing he's been to many in this room, Lord. Uh, Lord, his sweet, simple faith. Lord, how he faithfully witnessed of you everywhere he went, Lord. And our heart to the very end, Lord, that that was his heart and that was his passion, that was his desire uh, to tell others about you. And Lord, he'll be missed. He'll be missed by his family. He'll be missed by us as a church. Uh, But Lord, we know we finished his course and that he's with you. Lord, I do pray today, Lord, as we look to your word, would you help each one of us to lay hold upon our course that we might finish it, Lord? that we might go to glory having accomplished what you put us in this world to accomplish. Now, Lord, would you bless? Bless as we look to your word. Uh, Bless each one of us, Lord. May our hearts be stirred and drawn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. 
Paul says to Timothy, he says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now, Timothy has a ministry. What, God, what Paul is telling him here, Paul is telling him, listen, make full proof of it. Go all the way with it, uh, Timothy. Don't miss anything of your ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Now, we know from other passages of Scripture that Paul was not in the least bit concerned about the fact that the time of his departure was at hand. You know, your, your values in life really uh, get, uh, get clarified and get illustrated when it comes to stepping out of this world. Oftentimes, people step out of this world with terror and fear in their hearts because of a life that's been lived apart from God. Paul was not like that. Paul had lived most of his life as a Jew. He had uh, followed his faith, but he understood, listen, that counted for nothing. He had found Christ, or Christ had found him, and he had lived for Christ and served Christ. And because he knew Jesus Christ as his Savior, he knew he was going to heaven. In fact, he's going to tell us here that he knew there was a crown of righteousness laid up for him. But he knew his end. I wonder this morning, before we even begin, do you know your end? Do you know where eternity is going to leave you? When it comes time, and it comes for all of us, When it comes time for us to pass out of this world, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Are you sure? See, there's nothing more important than that. You can talk about the effect of your life. You can talk about the things you do. But if you die without Christ and go to hell, none of it counts. That's the most important thing of all. Now, God has made it very simple. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. So that if you will come to the place where you depend upon him, where you put your trust and faith in him and what he did, that he will give you eternal life. That, that, that's what the word promises. The word promises, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if you will come today to trusting in him, and we would gladly take the word and show you how you could be saved. But there is nothing more important in this life than to be sure of where you're going to go when, when you die, when you pass out of this world. You see, Paul knew his time of departure was at hand. He, he wasn't worried. You know, Alan wasn't worried this week at all. You know, that didn't concern him at all where he was going to be. Going to be. He, he knew. But what did concern him was that he, that he wanted to witness more. But he wasn't concerned about where he was going to go. Do you understand that it's possible for you to die with such a peace in your heart that you know you're going to glory? The Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not a hope-so thing. It's not a work-it-out-in-the-end thing. It's not, you know, I'll start dealing with that when I get there. It's something you can know. You can be sure. That's not arrogance. Paul would not have said because he was good. You could read another of his writings. He would not have said it was because he was perfect. He would not even have said it was because he labored so hard for the Lord. He would have said it was simply because he trusted in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ saved him. He was born again. Are you born again today? Are you saved? Are you his child? I trust today if you're not, you'll deal with that one because that's the most important issue. Because one day for all of us, that day comes. And sometimes there's not time to get that sorted out. The Bible says, now is the acceptable hour. Today is the day of salvation. You have an opportunity there today to, to trust Christ as your Savior. I would encourage you uh, to take it. But Paul goes on in his testimony here. <clears throat> he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I want to just look at those three thoughts for a couple of moments here. Uh, I have fought a good fight. Paul had fought a fight. Now, if we know anything about Paul, we know Paul was a fighter. 
Now, he wasn't a fighter in the terms where he, of where he used his fist, but he was a fighter. He was a fighter for truth all his life. You know, he went up against everybody and anybody when it came to truth. He was not going to allow truth to fall in the dust. Paul was going to fight for it. You know, when it came to the gospel, he was going to fight for the gospel. He would fight the Jews. He would fight uh, even Christians. He went up against Peter. He went up against Peter and told Peter was wrong uh, because of an issue and, and the way he dealt with it as far as the gospel was concerned. Paul was a fighter. He, he never gave up. He never quit. You know, it would have been very easy for Paul in the different times that he ended up in prison. And by the way, he was a jailbird. Right? He spent several terms in prison uh, for the gospel. Uh, he, and, you know, it would be very easy for when Paul ended up in prison because of the gospel for him to say, well, look, you know what, this is, this, 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 is, this is junk, this is not going very well, my life is not going right, and for him to give up, but he didn't. When Paul was in prison, he would wrestle with guards as far as the gospel was concerned. He would speak to rulers as far as the gospel was concerned. Every time Paul had the microphone, to use our modern term, put before him, Paul was going to preach the gospel. That was the key issue. Every time you find him before a ruler, when he should be defending himself, when he should be dumbing it down uh, to make it look good for himself, and so he would get off, Paul's declaring the gospel. You see, Paul had a mandate from God to preach the gospel, and that was what what his life was about. Let, Let me suggest to you, it would help us a lot to define what our lives are about. Paul had it nailed down. Listen, he was going to fight on that one point over and over and over again. They could, listen, they could literally, as far as they were concerned, kill him. He would rise up, dust himself off, and he would go back into the fight. He wasn't going to give up. He wasn't going to quit. Nothing could stop him. You know, um, he used at one stage, he used the illustration of being a wrestler. Wrestling is an interesting sport. Uh, it's not like, uh, you know, the, uh, what you see on TV at all. Wrestling is actually quite a skillful sport, but the, but the deal is to get the other guy's shoulders pinned down on the ground. Most of you have wrestled at some stage with somebody, and the idea is to pin the other guy's shoulders on the ground and to keep them there. Paul was a fighter. He never, ever let them pin him. He would always get up and come back, and he would always get involved in the fight again. He wasn't, he wasn't out of the fight for a day. He just wouldn't let it happen. Paul fought a good fight. Let me say to you this morning, may I ask you, are you fighting a good fight? Are you resting on your laurels? Isn't it very easy to get weary of the battle? Isn't it very easy to get to the place, you know, where we say, man, that's too much, that's, 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 that's hard. This battle's hard. I just think I'll, t- I'll, I'll take a place in the shadows here. I'll relax some. I'll, I'll take it easy. We can do that. We can take it easy. But you know what? When we take it easy, we end up being out of the fight. You see, the Christian walk, Christian life is not a walk in the park. It's a battle. It's a fight. Uh, it's a fight against the flesh, the world, and the devil. And you're going to fight for as long as you live. And you really have got to take that on board. There are no days off in the battle zone. When they put you out, put the helmet on your head and put the gun in your hand and put you out in the battle zone, they don't give you days off. They take you out of the battle zone for you to have a day off. You're not going out of the battle zone until you go home to glory. It's a fight. You're in a fight for the rest of your life. And understand this, that you're fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil, but the devil's firing the whole thing up. So basically, you're fighting against the devil, and he's, he's stirring everything up again, he can against you. And the Bible says that you're to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Listen, he's 
waiting for you to let down. He's waiting for you to soften up. He's waiting for you to give up the battle. You see, Paul was not just a fighter because he liked fighting. Paul was a fighter because there was truth to stand for, and there was a fight to fight, and he was going to stay doing the fight. Some of you are drawing back, and what you're doing without realizing it is you're letting the enemy have space to get you. You're You're letting the enemy look at you to pick you off. We need to understand we're in a battle. Listen, if the soldier decides that he's not going to fight anymore, he can still get slaughtered by the enemy. Both sides have got to decide to put down arms. And let me tell you, the Satan's not putting down his arms. And listen, he doesn't even do truces. He might lie to you, but I'm telling you, he won't give it to a truce with you. You can put down your arms if you like. You can stop fighting if you like. But he, he just takes that as, being, uh, as making you easier to get. You're in a battle. And you're in a battle for the rest of your life. That's just the reality. We can look at Paul and say, well, man, Paul had a hard life. I wouldn't like to be like Paul. And listen, thankfully, God doesn't call us all to the life of Paul. But if we decide that we don't want to be in the battle, we're finished. Because it's a battle. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. Notice what else he said, though. He said, I have finished my course. Paul finished his course. Now, listen, Paul had a particular course. Paul is a unique character in Scripture. Paul's a unique character in the Christian life. You know, he's this man who was raised up, who was trained in all the arguments of the Jews, and he's raised up then to be a witness to the Gentiles. And listen, he was powerful. He was formidable. And he didn't stop. He just continued on witnessing. He continued on laying down the truth. He continued on speaking to his people. But... He had a course that God had given him. Paul said, okay, this is my course. And he took that course and he ran with it. So that he could come to the end of his life and he could say, I've finished my course. I, I, I don't know, Paul obviously doesn't say it, but if I were Paul, when I was saying I've finished my course, I'd be saying, hallelujah. It's done. Hallelujah, my course is finished. I have done all that God sent me to do. I have accomplished what I was put on this earth to do. And now I can go home to glory. Wouldn't that be a great place to be? Wouldn't that be great to lie on your deathbed and and, and look over your life and say, I've finished my course. I've done exactly what God would have me to do. I want you to know, though, that Paul wasn't always certain he would finish his course. Do you know that? Paul had to take action in his life to make sure that he did finish his course. He had to look at his life and he had to examine it. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Keep your finger in in 2 Timothy because that's where we're staying. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Don't just run for it to have a walk, to have a run. Just run so that you obtain. Run with intent. Run like you're going somewhere. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. The idea of temperate there is the idea of under control in all things. That you've got to have be under control. Your life is under control. It's not driven by passions. You're under control. Uh, 
Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Do you know that Paul feared being a castaway? Paul feared ending his days in shame, looking back at his life and saying, I didn't finish my course. He feared that he would do something or that uh, he would allow his passions to overtake or that he would allow something to happen in his life that would put him in the place where he was a castaway. It happens. It happens a lot. Obviously, when Paul started his Christian life, he started well. He started strong. I mean, he came out of the box at a full run. But you know what? He was afraid that at some stage along the way, he would get out of the running and he would be a castaway. Listen, if Paul was afraid of it, then we do well to be afraid of it too. Listen, we don't want to be castaways. We we don't want to allow anything into our life that might pull us out of this race. We don't want anything into our life that's going to sideline us. Paul was used greatly. He was afraid that he would come to the place where he could no longer be used. He was afraid that he would become a castaway. Listen, don't let the enemy put you in a place where your life can't be used for God. Don't let the enemy take you out of the running. You need to finish your course. You need to set your focus and finish your course. He's comparing the, himself to an athlete there. He's comparing in 1 Corinthians and in, in Timothy. He's, he's looking at the idea of being an athlete. And an athlete, their sport dominates their whole life, at least if they're going to be good. They do nothing that doesn't have reference to their sport. I mean, <clears throat> I forget his name now. Uh, you remember the American swimmer? He just fascinated me, I suppose, because it was so public. But uh, the guy's life was completely dominated by swimming. It's kind of like he only stopped swimming to go sleep. The rest of the time he was either swimming or he was eating or he was uh, preparing for swimming. He was always doing something to swim. I think he won nine uh, gold medals in the Olympics. But his whole life was dominated by it. What Paul is saying to you is, listen, as a believer, this thing should dominate your whole life. Christianity should be your life. You should eat, sleep, and drink Christianity. You don't want to be in the place where you're allowing other things into your life that are going to take you out of it. You know, as I watched Alan the other night pass on to be with the Lord, it was just so simple. And I don't know about you, but I feel so far from passing out of this world. I feel like it's forever away. Because we tend to, don't we? We tend to feel like death's a long, long time away from me. But I was there looking at it, and there was this man. And it was finished. It was over. He was passing to be with the Lord. And you know what? It comes very quickly. We let this life and the love of this world dominate way too much of our lives so that it puts us in the place where we can be castaways. You become a castaway and you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus that day and you're going to you're going to think, I blew it. I didn't finish my course. I didn't do all that he had for me to do. Let me ask you another question. Do you know what it is that he would have you to do? I believe every child of his he has a work for. I believe every child he has something for you to do. By the way, It's your course, but it's given by him. Paul did not wake up one morning and decide, you know what? 
I think I'll be the apostle to the Gentiles. That's a really cool idea. I think I'll, you know, I think I'll just go for it. I think I'll, 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 now he didn't, God said, listen, Paul, I have called you and I am now sending you to the Gentiles. And Paul said, yes, Lord. If we're going to finish our course, we have to find out what his course for us is. One of the biggest problems for us is what we want gets in the way of it all the time. That, that, that's our problem. Our problem is, you know, listen, we want, we want, and we want it because we want. We can't see what he wants. And we never actually find his course. I wonder this morning, do you know what his course for your life is? Guess what? You can't finish it if you don't know it. There's no way that you can finish his course if you don't know it. Have you identified what it is that he would have you to do with your life? Because he wants something of your life. He didn't put you on this planet, you know, just to eat food and sleep and, and get through life. He put you on this planet to achieve something for him and his kingdom. Have you identified what it is that he wants you to achieve? Well, let me tell you, if you're going to identify what he wants for you to achieve, you're going to have to surrender yourself to him. You're going to have to put yourself in the places where you are yielded to him and letting him have his will and his way in your life. If you're going to know what is his good and acceptable and perfect will, you have to present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, you're going to have to put your life in the place where you put your life at his surrender. If we, if we talk to Paul... <clears throat> If we read about Paul, if we look at Paul, you know, this is a man whose life was surrendered. This is a man whose life was completely given to God. Now, do you think Paul enjoyed a good stoning? <clears throat> no. But he knew it was coming. It wasn't his will, but it was his father's will. He, he did it. Uh, do you think he, 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 he enjoyed when the crowd uh, became riotous and wanted to get rid of him? No, he was flesh and blood. He liked being liked like you and I do. Do you, do you think Paul liked the fact that, you know, amongst the people that were his peers that, that, that had loved him, he became the off-scouring of the earth? You know, here he was. He was, he was their hitman. But you know what they did? They put a hit on him. They decided they wanted him killed. You know, 40 Jews decided, 400 rather, decided that, they, listen, they weren't, they, weren't going to, they weren't going to eat until they'd killed Paul. I wonder if they all die. I always wondered that. The Bible doesn't tell us. Uh, but they said they weren't going to eat until they had killed Paul. Listen, they hated him. He was a marked man. He was a hated man. Listen, he was in prison. He, he, listen, all that he endured. But you know what? He had a course. He had a cause. And he was a surrendered man. He was going to achieve it. He was going to do it. He was going to fulfill it. You know what? I think God's got room in the ranks for some Pauls today. I think God's got room in the ranks for some men and women who would say, listen, I'll be like Paul. I'll, I'll, I'll do exactly what you want me to do, God. I'll give up my will and my way, and I'll do what you want. And you know what? When, when you get a heart like that and a passion like that, all the problems in life just kind of fade away. His... You're doing his will and his way. We need to be the kind of people that are completely sold out. There's way too much of what I like and what I want and what pleases me in Christianity. And it kills us. That's not the way it's supposed You can't finish his course for your life if you're doing your own thing. You just can't. Look what he says to, to Timothy. 
You can turn back to Second Timothy. He says, but watch thou, verse 5, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Hang on a minute. I thought this being an evangelist deal, being a missionary deal was a good living. No, he says, endure afflictions. Do hard things. Get hard things done to you. Timothy, you're going to endure affliction. You're going to endure hardness. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Do it all. And listen, if you're going to do his will, and if you're going to hear that well done, thou good and faithful servant, if you're going to finish your course, you're going to have to endure afflictions. And you can draw back. And God's not going to plead with you, and God's not going to make you serve him. You can draw back, but you know what? There'll come a day when you'll be ashamed. And that's a long day to be ashamed. God wants you to finish your course. Listen, what better could you do with your life than to give it to Him and do exactly what He wants you to do? What better way could you spend your life than to do exactly what He wants you to do? Not what you want, not what somebody else wants, but exactly what He wants you to do with your life. And do it all the way to the end. You know, as I looked at Alan, I couldn't help but think that. That's what he did. He was simple. He did it in his own simple way. But it was God's will for his life, and he was very sure of it, and he just kept doing it. Lots of people got mad at Alan over the gospel. He had family that were mad at him that were upset with him. But in his simple way, with his simple faith, he just kept declaring the gospel and declaring the gospel and declaring the gospel. You know, we might say, well, he annoyed people. And I'm sure he did annoy people. But he did the business. I wonder when it comes to witnessing, are there many of us that are as equal as far as just giving it out and giving it out and giving it out? You know what? <clears throat> I think Ireland has lost something in, a, in Alan, Alan Carroll's passing. Because there was a man that preached the gospel. In his simple way, he kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. Listen, that's what God wants us to do. But in order for us to do that, you know what? We have to get over what I want to do. Everybody in this room is called to be an evangelist. Everybody in this room is called to be a witness. Everybody in this room is called to take the truth and go and preach it. One-on-one and in, in, in as large a group as people will listen to you. And what we do is we live our lives with a whole bunch of other things that are much more important than that. And we're not finishing our course or part of our course. So two thoughts for you. What does God want you doing? What is God's purpose for your life? What is His focus? What is it that God plans in His great scheme of things that your life should achieve for Him? And secondly, are you being a witness? Because that's definitely part of it. You know, <clears throat> Paul could say, I finished my course. It's done. It's over. Paul could pillow his head in eternity knowing he had finished his course. I want to do that too, don't you? I don't want to be a castaway. I don't want to be somebody who, who, who never finds it. I don't want to be somebody who's not the witness I should be. I want to finish my course. I want to do all of it. But notice what else he said. I have kept the faith. You know, <clears throat> keeping the faith in this day and age is not easy. The enemy is attacking us right there as far as the faith is concerned. I realize it's, a, it's not a good word in our, in our day and age, but doctrine is a very important word. And we need to get solid as far as doctrine is concerned, or, 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 or what happens to us is 
You know, <clears throat> we end up getting washed away, carried away with every wind of doctrine. That's what the Bible says. And you know, if you look at the Bible, these end times are supposed to be full of them. But we get carried away with every wind of doctrine. You know, we've got lots of believers who don't believe in hell. We've got lots of believers who don't believe the Bible is truly the Word of God. We've got lots of believers who believe all kinds of wild ideas as far as the Scripture is concerned. We've got to keep the faith. Now, how are you going to keep the faith? Well, what are you going to do as far as keeping the faith is concerned? You know, um, you've got to be careful that, first of all, you get grounded in it. That you get grounded in the Word of God, that you let the Word of God be the guide in your life. That you let it not just be something you read, but something you live. Because there's something about the living that puts legs on the truth. There's something about when you live it that makes it all that more real. You've got to live the truth. Stop fighting with it. Stop fussing with it. Stop saying to yourself, well, I know it says that, but you know, in my life that doesn't work. And, and just do it. Just do the truth and live the truth. But you've also got to be careful that you, that you, that you hold the line on the truth. Because if you don't hold the line on the truth, you'll get pushed off it. If you don't stand for truth in your life, you're going to get pushed off it. You see, if you have this position, you say, well, listen, I believe there's a hell because the Bible says there's a hell and Jesus spoke about hell and, and he gave the story of the, uh, of the rich man and Lazarus and, you know, he, he spoke many times. I believe there's a hell. But you spend time around people and they say, well, you know, we're not sure. And in the Greek, the word is heydays, and, you know, and there's all these kind of things. And, you know, we're, we're just not sure that, that a loving God would send people to, to hell. And you listen to them and don't confront them with the truth. You know what happens to you? You go away thinking, I wonder are they right? It's always the way. When you don't stand up for truth, you lose truth. That's what happens to you. You lose it. Because what happens is you're kind of shaken on it. And you listen to enough people teaching wrong doctrine and you won't know what you believe. you got to get where you stand on truth. Truth's worth standing on. Truth is worth standing on. We talked in Sunday school, men's Sunday school, about the, the fact that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. We are supposed to hold on to the truth. But we've got to hold on. We've got to keep the faith. Listen, it's not just for us. Listen, I'm so glad I'm saved. I'm saved and I'm, I'm going to glory. I'm so glad. Listen, that one's dealt with. I'm, I'm thrilled my kids are saved. I'm going to glory. But you know what? There's a whole new generation now. Little Owen just got born uh, on Friday. He needs to get saved. Now you say, well, what have you got to do with him getting saved? Well, a lot. Because if we don't stand on truth, what happens is he won't know what truth is. It'll get filtered down to him in such a weak way that he won't know what it is. And he won't be sure what he believes. Listen, it's incredible how many relatives of great people you meet and they say, well, now what exactly is the gospel? I don't know. I, I haven't got the, the, the full of the exact story, but I think it was John and Mary Lynn uh, met um, a great-great-grandson of Spurgeon. No, it was a daughter, great-great-granddaughter of Spurgeon. And she knew she was his daughter. And when they talked to her about the gospel, do you know what? She hadn't got a clue. She hadn't got a clue what the gospel was about. That's criminal. If, if, if Spurgeon was alive, he would have wept over the fact that his seed did not know what the gospel was. 
But you know what? If we don't stand up for truth, if we don't stand for what is the truth and hold up the truth and propagate the truth and talk about hell, you know what? We'll lose it. We, will, we, we have got to make a stand on what the truth is and we've got to hold it. We've got to keep the faith. Paul is saying, listen, I didn't let one part of it drop. And he didn't. Listen, I'm sure Paul was kind of awkward to be around. I really am. I'm sure he was kind. Of, I'm sure he was one of those people. You know, if you said something out of turn, you know, you, you, you know, you just got scripture quoted to you. You got nailed to the floor six ways because listen, what you just said was wrong. Would have been helpful to you, but I'm sure he was that kind of a character. He he wasn't comfortable to be around because because you know he was keeping the faith. He just wasn't going to let people talk untruth. Peter, imagine going up against Peter. You know, uh, to some people, Peter's the Pope. It's amazing that Peter didn't know that, isn't it? <clears throat> but, you know, Peter, Peter was, a, you know, was dining with the Gentiles because he knew it was, God had cleared that issue up for him. And then the Judaizers came into town and, and they, and they thought that, that to eat with the, with the Gentiles was, 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 um, was unclean. And so, you know what Peter did? Peter said, well, listen guys, I can't eat with you anymore. Um, and he, he, what he did, he took himself off and he went and he, and he ate with the Judaizers and he made himself look like a Judaizer. And Paul came in and saw it. And you know what Paul says? Paul says, I stood him to the face. You know what that means? That means Paul got in the Pope's face and said, you're wrong. <clears throat> that doesn't fit with anybody's doctrine. Uh, but it fit with Paul's doctrine because he was going to make a stand on the truth. And you've got to make a stand for the truth. Wherever you don't stand for truth, you lose it. Because you don't stand for it. And you may say, well, look, I'll be okay. I, I know the truth. But there's five people watching and what they do, they look and say, okay, so what is the truth here? And they don't know the truth and the truth gets lost. Dads, you've got to have some backbone when it comes to the truth. You really do. Because listen, you've got little eyes watching it. And whether you stand for it or not is going to be the issue for those kids and whether they think it's true or not. You say, but it's in the Bible. That makes it true. Yeah, but you know what? If you didn't think it was important enough to stand for, why would they believe it? Why would they risk themselves for it? You didn't think it was that important. You showed you didn't think it was that important. You know what? Christian's a thorny person. A Christian is a thorn. Listen, we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. Salt is not funny in that context. Salt has a, has a savoring, preserving effect, but you know what? It makes a difficulty because salt has that impact upon things around it. And you know what? If you're going to be the right kind of Christian, you're, 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 going, to be, you're going to be a difficult person sometimes to be around because you're going to stand on truth. You're just not going to let lies slip by. You're just not going to let untruth slip by. You're going to stand on the truth. That's tough because we're in the age of tolerance, aren't we? You know, tolerance, listen, everybody wants you to, listen, we're fine with you being a Christian as long as you don't say too much about it and make us feel bad. But as soon as you make us feel bad, we'll be very intolerant towards you in the name of tolerance. And that's what happens. They will be intolerant towards you, uh, if you if you dare to be dogmatic about what you believe and say, this is what I believe. But you know what? If you don't, you lose it. If you don't stand for truth, you won't have truth. All right, <clears throat> quickly, one other character here in, script, in Scripture. Um, <clears throat> verse 8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but also unto all them that love his appearing. I, you know, Paul said, listen, there's, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. I'm going I'm to get it. He was expecting to stand in the presence of his Lord and receive a crown of righteousness. 
I think if Paul was expecting a crown of righteousness, you ought to be expecting crowns too. You ought to be expecting to go to glory and with crowns. None of this waffle that says, well, no, I'll just be happy to get into heaven. Listen, I know I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did. But I want crowns. I want to have pleased my Lord so well with my life that when he sees me, he's pleased and he gives me rewards for it. Listen, he teaches me to. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think you should set your, high, your, your sights as far as heaven is concerned high. I think you should be expecting great things in heaven. I, <clears throat> verse 9, though, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Now, this character, Demas, is a fascinating character in Scripture. In the book of Philemon, he is called a fellow laborer in the gospel. At one point, Demas was a fellow laborer in the gospel. But you know what Paul says? He has departed from me having loved this present world. I want to give you a warning, a resounding warning. If you love the world, and by that I mean the world system that's evil. I don't mean all the wickedness of the world. I mean the world system itself that's evil. If you love the world, you will not fight a good fight. You will not finish your course. And you will not keep the faith. You're going down. If you love the world, there is nothing surer than the fact that you are going down. When the world gets its tentacles into you, it's going to pull you down. It's going to do it. And there is coming a day for all of us Short of the rapture, everybody in this room will one day breathe their last breath. Everyone. There's not one of us going to escape it. I don't care what the scientists say about prolonging life and all the rest of it. Short of the rapture, everybody in this room will one day breathe their last breath. And when you're breathing your last breath, nobody's going to ask you, how much money do you have in the bank? Except the people that want to get it after you're gone. But it won't matter to you then. They're not going to ask you, what kind of house did you own? They're not going to ask you how well you looked in life. Because those things don't matter now. What's going to matter is where do you stand with God? Have you lived it well? You're going to pass out of this life with absolutely nothing of this life with you. Except, did you please him? Except, was he pleased with your life? As we close this morning, that's the question I want to ask you. Is he pleased? Right now, this moment in time, if you were to pass out of this world, is he pleased with you and with your life? If he's not, do you know what today is? Today is a calling to reckoning. Today is an opportunity for you to do business with God. Today is a day for you to get it right. Today is a day for you to turn it around. You know, the Bible says that if we draw nigh unto him that he will draw nigh unto us. That if you today would, in your heart, come to him and say, Lord, I know you're not pleased. And Lord, in my flesh I'm not able to please you. But I want to. Lord, lead. Lord, show me. Because when I close my eyes, I want to look back on a life that counts. Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Just show me. You know what? 
today, he would be pleased with you. It would be that easy. Today, he would be pleased with you. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, listen, today you could be saved. Today you could just bow your head before him and you could be saved. You could know him as your Savior. Oh, listen, today's a great day. Today you've got breath and you can change it. Listen, as we close and the piano plays and God is dealing with you, do business with him. Step out of your seat. Come, do business with him. Say, Lord, I want you to be pleased. Or whatever you want to do in my life, do. You're not saved? Come. Let me know. I'll get someone to show you from the Bible how you can be saved. But listen, don't let the day pass. Grab it. Grab the day. The day you can turn it around. And you know, one day when you're on your deathbed, you might look back at this day. June 3rd, 2012. Hey, that's the day that I turned around. That's the day that meant I was able to finish my course and do it with joy. See, moments count with God. This is a moment that can count. Will you in your heart respond to him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the warning. We thank you for Paul. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would have your will and your way in this room in hearts and lives now. And, Lord, that each one of us might surrender, might yield ourselves to you, and let you have your full will and your way in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen.